I am not a horse girl myself either. I think maybe that's it. Growing up in Kentucky, you're just, it's kind of a given. So you don't have to have that identity. I'm not a mom. And spoiler alert, I'm not a murderer, but I want to read about all those things (laughs) immediately. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying that. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. I suspect many of you have spent the past few days deciding which of the titles in our 2023 Summer Reading Guide that just dropped on May 18th you want to read this season. Today, I'm talking with one specific reader about what the coming season holds for her reading life and what specific books in this year's Summer Reading Guide I suggest she prioritize based on her taste and what she wants from her reading life right now. My guest today is someone many of you already know and love, and that I already talk books with all the time, our modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club community manager, Ginger Horton. Ginger has been on our team for, it feels like forever, really it's since 2016, but she didn't make her What Should I Read Next debut until 2021, when she came on to talk about her longtime struggle with summer reading. Today, we are here to catch up on what's changed and what hasn't in Ginger's summer reading life since that conversation. And along the way, we talk about a whole bunch of summer reading guide books, both past and present. Ginger has a good handle on the types of books she's looking for more of this summer to keep her reading life feeling satisfying and fulfilling. And I'm especially excited to recommend a few titles that speak to her specific and current interests. Like every title selected for the 2023 guide, the titles I recommend to Ginger today will appeal to a broad range of readers. Whether you know your taste intersects with Ginger's or you're looking for something entirely different, I think today's conversation will help inspire you to think about what you want from your summer reading and go make that happen. Now, I've said we're going to talk about what is in store for Ginger summer reading this season, but we don't talk explicitly about what's happening in book club this season in this episode. So I want to tell you a few titles that are on Ginger's summer reading list and mine because we're reading these books together in book club and talking with the authors. That starts today if you're listening when this episode drops. May 23rd, we are talking with author Dolan Perkins Valdez about Take My Hand. But this summer, we have twice the author talks as usual, fitting with our summer book club theme. And the authors we are chatting with are Curtis Sittenfeld of Romantic Comedy, Patty Callahan Henry of The Secret Book of Flora Lee, Erica Bauermeister of No Two Persons, translator Tina Cover with The Postcard, Tao Tai, author of Banyan Moon. And for Austin in August, we're chatting with Claudia Gray about the late Mrs. Willoughby. This summer in book club, we'll also have our Best Books of Summer event, that Austin in August day I referred to. We have a reader's weekend for, I think, the third year running, a read-along week. We're so excited about what you have planned. And if you join us in our community, you will be hearing a lot more from Ginger and from me. We have a good time together, and we have a good time with all of you, as you will hear today. Now, let's get to it. 
Ginger, welcome back to the show. I am so excited and honestly so nervous to be here because I'm not often over in this space, but I am a staunch listener. I have listened to every single episode of What Should I Read Next? I feel like that's a claim to fame. Maybe that's less special than I think it is, but I don't know. I feel very proud of that stat. I feel like you should get an enamel gold star in the mail, not just a metaphorical one. Is that something exactly. we should do, listeners? I'm a completist. I think so. And is that <laughs> indicative of your reading life? We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're back. Now, I was once again shocked when you reminded me when we were having one of our regular ongoing conversations yesterday that our 2021 Summer Reading Guide episode was the first time you've been on the show. Because we talk about books all the time. And in book club, we often talk about books publicly all the time. And my brain just just rejects that little factual <laughs> tidbit that 2021 was the first time. I resisted for a long time. I think some of it was nerves. Some of it was in like the longer you go on not having been on, then it's like a thing. And uh, some of it is because despite my, you know, very, very tiny semi-public I'm a professional book talker. I mean, I guess is how you how you put it. I do theoretically get paid to talk about books. Um, I'm rather shy. And so I tell our book clubbers a lot of times when they come to a member meetup or something and their face has to be on camera, they're in good company. Like it is intimidating. But as you've reminded us, whenever you're talking about books, it's the most comfortable place in the world because it's something you love. You probably feel passionate about it and you're probably better at it than you think. So I just, I believe you when you say that, Anne Bogle. I let that live in my head and trust that that is true as well as some good healthy editing. Let's be honest, those people are worth the waiting role. That is the safety net we have firmly in place at What Should I Read Next? So listeners, mm-hmm. if you're thinking about submitting to be on the show and it makes you so, so nervous, maybe it helps to know that that safety net is firmly in place. Ginger, you talked about talking about books for a living, and I love listening to you describe books. Do you remember last year when we did our summer reading guide watch party? I think it was this event, and you came with a few books that you wanted to kind of unbox. And I was just like, yes, dang, I'm going to have to up my game. Pure greed. (laughs) Pure greed. I mean, honestly, I didn't want to come with just one to share. And if you get to share 42, I think I came with nine or 10. So that was really fun. And maybe I need to resurrect that. We've talked a lot about traditions in the book club. They pop up in summer and they stay with us forever. But I might need to resurrect that because it's just a real fun way. But we're going to talk today, I I think, a little bit about how fraught summer reading is for me. So I don't want to overcommit. I know a little about your history. And I'm excited to unpack it more today. Mm -hmm. So Ginger, you've already mentioned book club several times. Tell our listeners who don't know (laughs) you from that community, like, what is it you do around here? and have been doing around here for going on seven years now. That's right. This is our seventh year in book club, which is just mind-boggling to me. It feels much, much uh, shorter than that, and I think that's because we're having fun. But yes, I am the book club community manager, which really does mean that I get to hang out all day and talk about books. I really do pinch myself. I do not take that for granted. Sometimes I'll get you know DMs or something from people that get wind of how I fell into this job. And they're like, how does that happen? And I'm like, I I know, I feel so lucky. Um, It's the best community of readers. So smart, so lovely. We say it's the kindest corner on the internet. And I truly mean that. So I fell into this about seven years ago when Modern Mrs. Darcy really was kind of blowing and growing. And I could tell that things were happening. My sister encouraged me to start a blog of my own. And I said, oh, I would just be ripping off. Ann Vogel, this, this lady who writes on the internet, like she is, she is everything I want to be. (laughs) She is, you know, bookish and a little bit nerdy and Southern and sweet and, you know, all these things that I would just be ripping her off. And she said, well, you should apply to work for her. And I was like, well, maybe I will. So I wrote this email to you and didn't send it. (laughs) That was the problem. Um, But a few weeks later, you mentioned that you were looking for a podcast producer. And so I wrote and said, hey, I'm also all wrong for that job. But you know, now I'm sending an email that I never sent saying, I just love what you're doing over there. It's my favorite place on the internet. That same summer, you were starting the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club. And I was already a part of that and loved it. They are very involved. Couldn't wait to get on the what was then the Facebook thread, which is much less desirable than our forums today. But I was very involved over there. And you said, hmm, well, you're right. No, you are a disaster for podcast producer. <laughs> wait, Clearly. wait, let's make <laughs> you, sure everyone knows I didn't say that. <laughs> 
she did not use the word disaster, but I think, you know, clearly my resume was, was not in a line with that. And you said, we're starting this book club permanently. Would you want to, you know, come on? And so the job has really grown. I mean, I think at the time, um, I just popped in like once a day and the job has really grown. We have so many more events than we even used to have. Then um, it really started with author talks and we are going back to our roots this summer. That is at the core of what we've always done. We still do a lot of author talks and book readings together, but it's grown into, like I said, that new site has given us the opportunity to create forums, robust conversation. We do classes and real explicit education over in the book club space. I Sometimes I tease it's the book club you can join and not read the book <laughs> and you can still get tons out of it. So yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I do over there. I'm so glad you applied for the job that didn't yet exist. Well, it did exist. You just didn't know it yet. So I'm <laughs> glad the universe sent you my way via your sister. That's right. Thanks to Bridget. Thank you, Bridget. Okay, Ginger, in the book club, those who know you there refer to you affectionately as basically bottled human sunshine, which feels accurate. Like, oh, Ginger's so sweet. She's so kind. (laughs) She's so loving. She's so thoughtful. She's so compassionate. And people make some assumptions about your reading taste based on that. Mm -hmm. I like to read whatever the opposite of bottled human (laughs) sunshine is. (laughs) Please give me a book with a cast of unlikable characters, and I will happily drink that down. Um, I, I mean, I certainly like to read happy books, too. I'm on record as being, like, such a Mitford fan. But the other and sizable half of my reading life is The Secret History has become an accidental reread for me practically every year. One of my very favorite books from the original Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club Summer was The Nest. Talk about a snarly nest of unlikable characters. Man, there was not a... There was not a person you wanted to be in that cast. So yeah, I just, I love reading about unlikable characters on the page. I've become a little bit famous for it in my own head, I guess, that that is, <laughs> bring it on. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. <laughs> but also, I think some of that, you know, the, the strands come from the same place. Mm-hmm. So you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from the South, and we have this real strand of hospitality and sweetness that we're known for, but also some real dark depth, you know, some of the the real greats, Faulkner and Flannery O'Connor and, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, like they are writing about some dark things. And so I think that's also seeped into my subconsciousness. And I love a story about place. I think that comes from my Southern upbringing. Um, I love a story about just, you know, mess. Like, that's what I love about the page is that it can help me experience things that I've never experienced. And Thank goodness that my family is not a snarly nest of unlikable characters, but I can sure love to read about them on the page. You reminded me of something I feel like I'm often saying in real life conversations with friends, like you don't actually want your life to be a book because books, like the plot is propelled forward with just so much conflict and horribleness, like bad things have to happen for the story to advance. Like you want to (laughs) live a more boring life than that. (laughs) That's right. I want my life to not make a great story. Thank you very much. (laughs) Or a different kind of story. Maybe not the kind that an agent would snap up and want to like make a film out of. That's right. So Ginger, you have a rocky history with summer reading, as you've said before, and as we're going to talk about today. Uh, Let's start with like the bigger picture. What is your reading life really like these days? Yeah. So, you know, I've tried to diagnose this and I think I have a theory, but it doesn't feel like I've quite figured out what goes on with me in the summer. I do love the warm weather. I love the summer season, um, the long days and nights. I think there's something to the actual weather contributing to the fact that I'm just out and about more. People are hanging out. We're barbecuing. Maybe I'm traveling. I think there's something to that, but I don't think that's the only thing that explains why I usually have a real dip from the months of June to August. And I didn't really notice this until I started tracking my reading In the first few years, I mean, I freaked out. I think there was one year that I read maybe like finished one book in three months or so. It was was dire. And listen, there's nothing shameful about that. There are all kinds of people that, that that is fine for, but it was not fine for me. That was very unusual for me. And so after tracking it for a few years, I realized, oh, this is a pattern. It's fine. It will come back. Once school starts and fall begins, the leaves start falling off the trees, it'll come back. So I don't freak out about it, but I mean, I would like that not to be the case. I lose a lot of months, or I guess, you know, lose in heavy air quotes, um, of great reading time in the summer. So what happened in the last few years is I moved to a little island in the middle of the Pacific called Hawaii, and there is no seasonal difference. There is no difference for me between January and August. 
And that flattened out. So I, I like to say it cannot be just as simple as the weather, but maybe there is something to that. I mean, truly my, my year in the last few years, which is completely pretty even. So I'm a little bit nervous because we are moving back to the mainland where there are seasons this fall. And um, I'm excited about that move. But also I keep thinking, oh, no, is this my last good summer? <laughs> is this my last summer where I'm going to have a successful reading here again? So we shall see. I'm so curious to find out what happens when you do come back to the mainland and live through next summer. Maybe I got good skills. Maybe what happened in the last few years, I just got better skills. And we're going to cross our fingers for And that. you just happened to move to Hawaii. Exactly. Well, I love how you've been able to test out your theories. Not everybody needs to do something as drastic as, you know, moving 5,000 miles away to test out their reading life theory. But since you were moving anyway, I'm glad you got to do that. And I'm so curious. Okay, stay tuned, friends, and we'll find out. What happens with Ginger mm -hmm. Horton's reading life when she actually gets to experience the seasons again? So it's the beginning of summer and you're feeling cautiously optimistic about the season ahead. How would you put it? Yeah, I think I had my rocky start to the beginning of the year here. So I tried another experiment. I'm really big on tracking your reading. I think this pays so many benefits to the reading life. Um, but mostly I'm just like a firstborn daughter who likes a gold star. And so I've been counting my books for over a decade now. I started, wish I'd started earlier, but I started in earnest in 2012. I have the records of everything I've read from 2012 on. So I thought, okay, I've been doing this for a decade. I'm going to not count my books this year. I wonder if that's doing something bad to my soul. I wonder if I'm only reading to get the golden stars. I wonder, I had all these wonderings. Do I read shorter books because I'm trying to get a certain number? I had all these wonderings. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to track this year. I'm going to journal my books. I'm going to write what I read down, but I'm not going to put a number beside it. And that was a disaster. <laughs> About two months in, I was not finishing book. I mean, I, I think I read one book in all of January, finished one book, shall we say, because I firmly believe in quitting books that you're not enjoying. So that doesn't mean I wasn't reading, but that means I wasn't finishing books, even books I was enjoying. And so I quickly abandoned that. I learned that I didn't take a whole year to learn that experiment it was a disaster for me. I need that gold star and that is fine. And what it does for me is it really makes me finish books I'm enjoying. I'm not talking about abandoning mm -hmm. a book that is not right for you. But if I'm enjoying something, I need that little push, to be honest. I find that I will leave like a bookmark. I'll find bookmarks in books, 40, 50, 70 pages to the end. And I think in my head, oh, I've read that, but I never finished it. And <laughs> that's just not great for a sense of accomplishment. And also the endings so often change books. You know, I think of several Ann Patchett books that I've read and loved and good golly, do I adore <laughs> Ann Patchett. Please do not hear me say anything. I am an Ann Patchett completist. But that woman does something with the ends of her books that is unlike anything else I've read. I tell people flat out, don't read the last five pages of State of Wonder because it changes the book. Now, that's what the fun of discussion is, is that sometimes the change of a book can really make for such rich thought life and discussion. But, um, you know, it's not great for being, <laughs> being a reader. You need to finish books. A writer finished a book. I can finish 40 pages. I feel like we need to take a time out and ring up Bailey on our team and have her join this conversation because she and I were talking about the exact same thing like a week ago when she finished the new Ann Patchett novel. Oh, see, I haven't read the new one. Yes, she I can tell Bailey is itching to talk about this because she actually uh, texted me or DM'd me or something a few weeks ago and said, have you read this? And I said, <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I haven't read this yet. I'm trying to I'm trying to not read this yet until it actually comes out. But Mainly just because I knew everybody else is going to be reading it. And I want to read it when everybody's reading it. I think we need Team Book Club. Because there's some trends I see in books that are publishing this summer, like coming out mm. into this current literary landscape that I'm so interested in. And I really want to talk about with fellow readers. But the thing is, Ginger, is I can't even say what the themes are in relation to the books without introducing major, major spoilers. So basically, I need everybody to read everything so we can all talk about it as soon as possible. Well, we're gonna. And Bailey's <laughs> been a big influence on my reading life, actually, this year alone. I'm so glad she's on the team because she she has excellent taste in books. Or shall I say our taste intersects a lot, which did I just did I just conflate excellent taste and my taste? No, no, did not, but accidentally. You are the hero of your own reading life. That's right. So and also it's always worth saying that when somebody says a book is great, well, is it going to be great for you? That depends. And that's what we're talking about today. I'm going to talk about a book today that I did not like, that a lot of people liked. So, Well, they want to hear what you have to say about it. 
I have a question though, Ginger. What made you realize this is a disaster? I have to stop not counting. Like I, I need to do something different or this whole year is going to go badly. Not to put words in your mouth, but you take over the story from here. Yes. No, that's that's true. I did not want a reading life where I read one book a month. And that is, again, hear me say that is fine. I have wonderful people in my life that that is absolutely fine and robust, but that is not robust for me. So this really changed when you gave us the opportunity as team members to select one book for the summer reading guide. That is something we've done before in the past, but not quite in the same way where we were reading books that were ARCs. I don't read a lot of advanced reader copies. I don't pay attention to what's coming out. I have the privilege of being on this team where a lot of other people do that as their own hobby. And so I just get to wait and let, let, let people like Bailey and others tell me what to read. And that has been my happy reality for a while. But it was really fun this year in January to April or so to pay attention to what's coming out in the summer and select a book to include in the summer reading guide. So as I was deliberately not finishing books that weren't quite right for the summer reading guide, I wasn't enjoying, I really realized, oh, there's a difference between no, this isn't right. This isn't right for me. This isn't right for me right now. And I wandered off. And good golly, I was enjoying that book. It's on my coffee tip. Why didn't I finish that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a massive chasm. And so that's really what made me realize that because I read a string of books by really big name authors. And I suspect at least a couple of those were just not right for me right then. But I read several three star books that were, yeah, they were fine. I was happy I read them, but I don't want to talk about these all summer long. I don't want my name put beside them in the summer reading guide. Um, I don't want that to be like my one pick. And so putting those aside showed me the stark difference. And then I found one that I did not feel mad about. In fact, I think as the story goes, you and I were on Zoom and I was telling you, I just can't find anything. Everything is kind of dark and depressing this year. Just I don't know. Maybe it's me. And then I clutched my hand to my chest about one. I was like, except for, and you said, oh, Ginger, that's the book. Like you just clutched your hand to your chest, which I hadn't realized, but um, yeah. So <laughs> okay. I remember this conversation. You were like, should I just put my name beside a three-star pick? And I don't remember exactly what I said, except no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you want to do that. Um, but tell everybody what the book was that you really loved. I loved The Postcard by Anne Barrest. I took down, this is about 500 pages, and I took this down within a week. And that is the one that I was talking about that I read in January. That's the only book I finished in the month of January. Now, it's rather long, and I'm a slow reader, but um, I read that in a week. Could not put it down, 500 pages. It's it's a quick 500 pages, but Mm -hmm. it's still not short. And so you see a real stark difference when you can't seem to finish something and then when you can't seem to not stop reading something that is a massive difference. And when you see that in your reading life in such short period of time, it becomes clear. Oh yeah, I should be reading more of these that I cannot put down. My hand clutches to my chest. I'm telling friends about them. Friends that are sitting on my real life couch. I'm like, here, take this home. This is my beat up ugly arc that I wrote in. But yes, like you must, you must please read this. So you realize the difference between the like, oh, that book experience. Mm -hmm. And "Eh, yeah, hmm, I I liked it. I liked it. It was fine. Yeah. That's right. Well, I'm glad you did. So how have things been since that realization? Much better. I do not feel like I'm back to like, you know, 2021, kind of everybody staying at home that year. All we're doing is reading numbers, but I'm definitely back to myself. And again, I know about how many books I should be reading at a time. I know about how many books I finish in a week or a month, you know, just for my own health. Like I know when I'm dipping below a number, what's going on? What? Let me just examine something in my life. It, maybe it's just a matter of being too busy, but also maybe it's that I'm flipping on, you know, that baseball game that I do not really care about. I don't know why I picked baseball. I don't really watch much baseball. <laughs> so that is definitely a warning sign in your reading life. <laughs> that is a warning sign. We, had, we do have some friends that do that, that we've been watching a couple games with lately. So that, that was a weird example. But yeah, if I'm not interested in doing something else, I should be picking up a book. Or I've heard the other thing from readers is that, you know, some people are like voracious and they know if they are reading a book a day, that is maybe not a place that they want to be because it can be some healthy or unhealthy denial or that can be um, an escape place. Nothing wrong with that. But again, it's just Mm -hmm. worth examining. Like, is this normal for me? So I would say I'm about at normal levels now um, and also just really reading things I'm enjoying, which is the most important thing. And 
giving myself some real healthy permission in a way that I haven't in recent years to reread. This is something new that has come into my own life from book club, the joys and the real benefits and merits of rereading. And so I've been letting myself reread some older things after a string of brand new books that I wasn't sure if they were right for me. It's been real refreshing to revisit some things that I know that I've loved. And um, on a second or even third pass, you see things you hadn't seen before. Both of these books that I've reread recently are for the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, one in April and one in May. And um, I love to reread a book you're going to discuss because you see extra things and highlight something where you're not just reading it for the enjoyment of it. You're like, oh, I can't wait to talk to so-and-so about that. Or, oh, I know the book club is going to respond well to this. So, Ginger, I imagine that Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez is top of mind. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. that is what we're reading in Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club in May. But would you tell our listeners about the amazing experience you had rereading our April selection? Because that was really unique and special. And basically, I want to hear you talk about it again. Absolutely. Yes. So both of these books actually, Take My Hand and Fault Lines by Emily Atami, which is our April selection, I read first on audio. And I just kind of took them in in a casual way. Listening to a book is a different experience for me than I'm a big note taker, writer, margin writer in my books. And so it's a bit more of a passive experience, but I loved both of these. So I read Fault Lines back, I guess maybe last spring, um, whenever it came out. Read that, enjoyed it, told everybody about it. I think it might have even been my best book of the summer last year. So loved that. And then I got the opportunity to go to Tokyo in the spring this year and could not resist reading that again before I went. So I read it quickly within like three days on paper, some of it on the airplane, like to Tokyo. Um, It was so magical to be reading it, going into that place, picking up on things after researching the place that we were visiting. And then I got to the city and I spent a couple weeks there And I came back home and reread it because now I didn't (laughs) want to read it in preparation for going. I wanted to read it after having seen Roppongi Hills and that spider statue that she talks about on page 214. I had to experience it afterwards. So luckily, this is a rather slim book. As I mentioned, I'm a slow reader. I think it's like 214 pages or something. So it's it's a short book. And I downed that three times within a calendar year. That is super unusual for me. <laughs> and then you got to talk to Emily Atami. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I love it. Thank you for sharing that with us. I could ask you questions all day because really I want to get a picture of your reading life. And for me, I want to get a picture of your reading life right now. I always love to find out what you are reading. And you find books that I don't. Like you've put books on my radar. I've really enjoyed like Salty by Alyssa Wilkinson was our November Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club selection. And I didn't know about that book. I hadn't seen that book anywhere. But we're going to get into your reading life. And I think we want to get into your books and do that now. Are you ready? I'm ready. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? (laughs) You get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the hosts of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser known figures. For instance, Saida Haltura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. I picked these in a real specific way. You just got finished saying 
hey, sometimes you put books that are not on my radar. None of these are going to not be on your radar because all of these have come from past summer reading guides. So I did get to talk on what should I read next a couple of years ago. And I picked maybe not like all time favorite, but that was the pressure. That was like, these have to be representative of my reading life. And so this time I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I went back through all the previous summer reading guides and major shout out to our friend Janine, who actually compiled a few years ago, all the summer reading guides in one big list, just like a friendly list. This is not like famously exists somewhere. But thanks to my friend Janine, because she put those in a book for me. And I was able to quickly flip through that and pick out three books that are representative of my reading life that I loved that I think about all the time. But they all originated from an SRG past. So that's where these come from. But at least one of these I actually had forgotten was on the SRG. So when I was going through these lists, I thought, oh, I forgot that's how I heard about it. I loved this book. I might would have picked this one anyway. <laughs> Y'all can go back and listen to that episode. It aired on May 18th, 2021. It's called Don't Save the Good Stuff. And Ginger, do you remember what you chose for that episode? Hmm, such a good question. I think I remember what I hated. <laughs> Let's see if I'm right here. Um, I'm going to give you a clue. Backlist book club. Oh, I wonder if I must would have talked about home fires. Uh Uh-uh. No. Oh, oh, golly. Um, Everyone brave is forgiven, probably. Yes. Okay. I figured I had to have included that one. And that was our one of our very first summers in the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club. And also, we did that for one of our backlist book clubs because mainly I just want people to go back and watch Chris Cleave all day long. <laughs> Let's see here. Gosh, I cannot remember. Okay, I'll tell you. So it was Young Jin Young. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. And Stay With Me. Oh, of course, Stay With Me. The famous two jaw drop book. <laughs> How had I forgotten? <laughs> I do still love all of those titles. You know why I think it surprises me is I had in my head that what I had picked were very representative of my reading life. And certainly I love all of those, Mm -hmm. but I feel like all those books are so similar. I was more strategic this time. I'll go ahead and admit I was more strategic about like picking something that represented this facet of my reading life and this facet. But maybe that just really goes to show that I've grown as a reader and I know how to think about my own reading life and what to look for a little bit better than I did two years ago. Well, I love that. I'm really excited to hear what each of your selections represents in your reading life. Okay, Ginger, tell me about the first book you love. Okay, the first book I loved is Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. You put this into my hands a few years ago. We even considered reading this for the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club. I had to go back and look and make sure we did not, but we did not. And this one was everywhere. So this is probably not the title on my list here that flew under the radar, but this is just everything I want in a summer novel. We did talk about this in Don't Save the Good Stuff, episode 283 that you just mentioned. But what I ended up loving about this book is that it is just thick with atmospheric details. There is atmosphere at the start. um, There is atmosphere at the end. They kind of have this big catalyst where the two main characters go on this trip together. And there's just all of this real aesthetic kind of, you can feel the coolness of the house. And then you can feel the hotness of where they travel to. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers. If you can't tell, I'm like dancing around where they would go to and why. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't want to tell that the plot of the story is just so compelling, so page turning. But there's this one sentence in the book that I think about all the time, probably because we do have china cups and clementines at our house very frequently. But there's this line that the main character's mother She has dreams for her daughter that are just very different than what her daughter would want to go on to do. And so she says, Florence's mother liked to imagine a life of diamonds and guilt. And that's G-I-L-T, but also probably (laughs) G-U-I-L-T. Let's be honest. You know, that's a necessary clarification Mm -hmm. for this story. Mm -hmm. It It really is. So diamonds and guilt for her daughter. That's one kind of mother. But this, this was the life Florence wanted. A blue and white teacup stuffed with clementine peels, a tangle of white ranunculus, and a ceramic pitcher on the windowsill. So I don't know about you, but I can just feel the coolness of that house, the sophistication of that house versus kind of a house that would be full of, of diamonds and guilt and Those are two different lives in Florence's mind and in mine. And so to really read about some of the the concrete details on the page, a blue and white teacup stuffed with clementine peels, that is so evocative for me. And that is what I want to be reading in the summer. I want to sink into an atmosphere for sure. 
number one requirement, wish, dream for my summer reading life, books with atmosphere. Okay. There's so much I want to talk about here. (laughs) Starting with the characters in this book are not likable, Ginger. They are not. Which is your jam. It is my jam. Yes. Okay. Tell us more about that. It definitely adds to the story for me. So I didn't, you know, pick this up. Nobody is going to say in a blurb, probably ever, book with unlikable characters. Like, that's not going to sell books. That is not marketing copy. (laughs) But when I find that that becomes apparent, it draws me even more into the story. So the story might hook me for um, a travel aspect for this book is set in the publishing world. That's often going to drag me in. You instantly know that one of the characters is unlikable based on just the premise. You know, she is a reclusive author, but you slightly distrust all the other characters. You're not quite sure the entire time. It's unmooring. Is this an unreliable character? Is this an unreliable narrator? You're sort of viewing it through the eyes of this ingenue intern, and you're just not quite sure about any of them, to be honest. And I loved that. Then, of course, once you get to the end, you really find out firmly who is likable and unlikable. One of the things that I love about reading is not just the the reading experience, but how you can continue to think about it years afterwards, and how you see publishing interns and reclusive authors through that lens forever and ever. Amen. I'm actually realizing something as you're talking about Maud Dixon and unlikable characters. Or maybe maybe what I'm doing is formulating a theory. I'm not sure if it's a real realization. But I've heard readers, like a re- readers is really a reader, very recently was saying, ugh, I thought that book was overrated. I guessed how it was going to end. And I can never guess how it's going to end. She should have plotted a better mystery. But I'm just realizing that often when that critique is leveled at a book, And I don't think that's what the writer was going for. It's because the characters are unlikable and you're not reading to like be shocked at the twist. What you're reading for is to watch terrible people um, get what's coming to them. How's that? Like the suspense isn't like, oh, like who done it? But how's it going to go down? And what is that going to look like? Okay, what do you think? Talk that out with me. First of all, I am impressed that anybody saw what was coming. I am a trusting reader, a notoriously trusting reader, and I did not see that. So that is not a universal experience. Um, I like that about my reading life because I'm often Mm -hmm. able to be surprised, but I also really enjoy a book when I am able to guess. I think, first of all, that's fun. Like, don't you feel superior when you're able to guess? I do. I think, (laughs) how clever am I? But exactly that. Yes, I think there is really something to be said about not just reading for what's going to happen, but how it's going to happen. And if that's well done on the page, it can still be an interesting reading experience, even if you are one of those really clever people that guesses super often. Okay, I'm going to keep thinking about this, as well as that tangle of white ranunculus, because that is my favorite. Oh, so good. Ginger, tell me about another summer book you love. Okay, so I wanted to throw a nonfiction read in this list because I love nonfiction. I always want to read more of it, and I find myself frequently reaching for novels, whether that's because that's what I'm encountering on Bookstagram, or maybe some of that is, um, you know, a outcome of the job is that we often read novels together in the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, and rightfully so. Those make for such great discussion. But I want to read more nonfiction in general in my life. And last summer, I actually found that I was kind of losing that hour between 7 and 8 p.m. Like dinner's over. Maybe the kitchen's cleaned up, maybe aspirationally. Um, And I'm kind of just scrolling. Like it's not not time to go to bed yet. I don't really want to turn on that baseball game that apparently I don't watch. I don't want to turn on TV. But um, what am I going to do? So I set this goal for myself that only during that hour, I would read nonfiction. For some reason, it's a little easier for me to come to than fiction in that time where my brain's a little a little tired. And I ended up working my way through 12 books, 12 full nonfiction books within a couple of months. So that felt like that really, really worked for me in that deliberate way. So um, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, for those of you that pay a lot of attention around here, a lot of my nonfiction life is actually influenced by Will Bogle. I think some of that is <laughs> indirect coming be through and reading <laughs> recommendations, but he has kind of famously introduced us all to Outside Magazine. I'm not sure if this was his influence, but back in the day, Into Thin Air was actually on the Summer Reading Guide years and years and years ago. I took that down in one sitting in one hotel room. Um, I was traveling. This is probably a giant waste of 
Northern California, but I sat in my hotel room and do not regret spending an entire day with Into Thin Air <laughs> in the beautiful redwoods of California. Um, I don't regret that a bit. But Will has kind of a, if he mentions a nonfiction book, like my ears perk up. Um, I'm sort of embracing my inner like dad book fan and please hear the heavy air quotes there as well. And by that, we generally just mean that narrative nonfiction. I'm not sure why dads have sort of a, a reputation for reading those books, but I think poor people should. So I heard about this book. That was such a long lead up to say I heard about this book from Will in our joint episode, our team episode 291. And um, Brenda paired each of us up with a sort of an unconventional team member. And I got paired with Will and he mentioned Chasing the Thrill and it moved it right on up my to be read list. So I read this nonfiction tale of a treasure hunt so absorbing. Again, there's a lot of atmosphere here because there's actual people looking for treasure. There's mountains and, you know, crevices where they have to like kind of tangle through the brush a little bit to get to a certain spot that might potentially have this treasure. There is a literal treasure room in this guy's house, kind of an eccentric millionaire character. And so um, you're really on this journey and you, you also don't know how this is going to end. This is nonfiction, but I resisted every urge to Google whether the treasure had been found, what ended up with this story, you know, who came out of this looking like a good guy and a bad guy. Some of the characters are a little shady in this story as well, even though it's, it's nonfiction and real people are much more complicated than people on a page. But there's not a clear right and wrong who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, even in this story. But I really enjoyed the read. And um, it doesn't tidy up with a neat little bow either. For narrative nonfiction, reader beware. I do love a good you know, story that does tie up in a neat way. Sometimes you can look back in history and find out what happened. This one is a little murkier than that. This one is in the Summer Reading Guide because of Will. And because I, I live here, <laughs> we talked about what interests us. <laughs> I knew that he was following the Forest Fen treasure hunt online and in Outside Magazine. So when I found out there was a book on the way, I said, hey, like, are, are you interested in this? Not at all thinking about the Summer Reading Guide, because why would there be a book about the treasure hunt in the Summer Reading Guide? Like, right. no, I'm not interested in that. The end. But he read it and said, I really think you're going to like this, Anne. <laughs> And I really did. And I love that it appealed to you too. And now we're talking about it today as one of your favorites. I think about this one a lot. That is Chasing the Thrill by Daniel Barbarisi. Love it. Okay. And we're going back to fiction, I think, for your final favorite. What did you choose? You sure are. This one is the one that goes way back. I had not remembered that this was on a summer reading guide, but this is The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer. Me Ether. Yeah. I, I did not remember this was on the guide. I don't know where it came into my reading life, but that's very likely the place I discovered that she had a new title, as it often is. This cover is fantastic. I love Meg Wolitzer regardless. I think she's one of the finest writers. She's not exactly not known, but I think she flies under the radar far more than she ought to. I think about the interestings constantly. It's one of my favorite books all the time. That's another great summer read, by the way. Um, it's about summer camp and friendships, and they turn into complicated adult relationships and massive unlikable characters there. Um, but just the experience of reading this book is really what I think about when I think of the female persuasion. I met this group of seven ladies at a very early Modern Mrs. Darcy book club event. We now call each other the bookish besties, and we've spent years together. We have this epic text thread. We have been on trips together almost every year, except for those pesky COVID years. Uh, they are actually bound up in my COVID origin story because we canceled a trip together in the very, very early days of that. We've sent Christmas presents across the US. You know, a couple of them have a podcast together now. Like these are my people. Okay, I cannot talk about these people enough. Uh, but our very first trip, we went to Charleston and we picked a book or two to read in kind of a little tiny miniature book club together on the trip. So we all show up to this trip. We have so much fun. We see the beautiful city of Charleston. But in the evenings, we sat in Diane's living room and we had this grappling discussion about this novel really of feminist and feminism and the early days and what that means for more modern feminists. We in this little tiny bookish besties group are very different ages, different marital statuses, different political affiliations, but there was so much to talk about here. Wolitzer is really thoughtful. She's such a thoughtful writer, but these books go down so easy. So I think if you're actually like a fan of someone like Taylor Jenkins Reid, where it feels like a page turner, 
but there is great conversation and great discussion, even if that lives in your own mind or in the margins of the page. This is one of those authors you should be putting on your list. And Again, with the aesthetic details, I think about how she used some symbolism, particularly in the wardrobe of the women. I think about those trademark suede boots all the time. (laughs) And she uses those to great effect. You know, they are a bit of a symbol of what's going on in the lives of original feminists and modern day feminists. I love how that book is so deeply tied to important people in your life. Yes. Yes. I, that is indicative of my reading life. So certainly mm-hmm. a good book is a good book, but if I can talk about a good book, it's no longer a good book. It's a great book or it's a great yeah. reading experience. And I value that tremendously um, to the degree that we had a discussion in the Modern Mrs. Darcy book club. I did not think this was going to be as controversial as it was, but we have a question of the day most days. And one day I posed the question, if you could never read another book, you could talk about anything you've ever read before in the past, but you could never read another new book in your life. Or you could read all you want, but you can't talk about them anymore. And I thought this was going to be rather contentious or rather debated. There was a clear line of delineation. And most people wanted to read, (laughs) even if they couldn't talk about it. And I was baffled because I would probably say, this would be hard for me, but I would want to talk about books, even if I could never read another one again. There is something to me that is really, really magical about talking about books. And uh, maybe I just have to depend on the great ones I'd read in my past life and talk about them all day long, which I think is really indicative of I'm in the right place in the book club because that's what we do all day long. Yes, I do think it's indicative, but I'm still kind of hung up on the fact that you asked everybody such a cruel question. I was really cruel. (laughs) I'm really glad I don't have to pick. (laughs) They are usually not that controversial. Like yesterday's question was, have you ever written a fan letter to an author? Like usually they're much lighter, but uh, that one surprised me. (laughs) Now tell us about a book that wasn't right for you. You've already referenced this obliquely. Let's hear about it. Uh, okay. So I this pains me to say, um, because I know so many of you loved this, but that is The Hazelwood. I don't feel too bad talking about my experience of not liking this because I know it is firmly loved and that is right and true. This is a fantastic book. It was just not the right book for me. I have known in the past, but every now and again, you take a chance on a book, but I know that too much world building is just a no-go for me. It can be so intricate and so well done. I love and appreciate like a writer like Jemison. I'm trying to think of other books in the past that I've read where there's just, and when I say too much, that is subjective, but there's just too much world building. I don't want to spend 60% of the book trying to orient myself. I want to get right to the story and particularly to the characters. So I don't often finish books that I don't like, which was one of the reasons that this one wound up on my wasn't right for me list. Um, Typically, like I said, I don't mind putting a book away, but I could just tell this one was so well done. I could draw you a picture of that world. I could draw you a map, but like, what really happened? (laughs) So (laughs) I know that some readers love that part. And it is fascinating as a reader to watch happen on the page. I mean, that is a skill that a writer has that is very fine. But it's just not for me. Which is interesting because you are all about atmosphere. I know, right? Please diagnose me. Tell me what that's all about. I don't know. So how do you differentiate those things? Like, how do you reconcile that? That is something to think about for sure. I am guessing that that is to do with my familiarity. So I hadn't even noticed this, but now I'm just noticing that I said, oh, I have blue and white teacups in my house. And we often have Clementine. Maybe there's that relatability that um, I don't have Rinoculus in on my windowsill right now, but I can imagine mm-hmm. doing that. I cannot imagine going into the deep dark wood and following, you know, a boy I barely knew and like opening letters that weren't addressed to me. Like those are not things that happen in my regular life. So there might be something about just that relatability that I really need in those aesthetic details. I need it to be something accessible to my own imagination. And maybe if I read more of these, my imagination will get larger. But in the meantime, <laughs> I'm staying away. If those blurbs say something about, you know, a remarkable world being built, so I, I would probably shy away from that instead of be drawn to it in the future. So it's what kind of atmosphere, mm-hmm. not just atmosphere. Mm. That's a good question. You're going to ponder this for a year, and we'll talk about it next May. <laughs> That's right. Please have me on again. We're in book club later <laughs> this month. <laughs> Ginger, what are you looking for in your reading life right now on the cusp of summer beginning in earnest? 
So what I would really love is to recapture that childhood long languid feeling of just sinking into a book in summer, you know, those summer reading programs at the library where you could check out unlimited amounts, maybe you had an assigned reading list. And I was not that kid that read, you know, pick three from this list of 20. Oh, no, I was going to make it through as many of those as I could. Um, Just that expansive nature. I am really after that this summer. And so what that means to me is a thick book if I can get my hands on something like really chunky and I can sink into it. Um, I think some of that comes from me giving myself that permission to stop counting books. Now I'm counting books again, but it did break a little bit of that hold on me that I'm not checking something off of a list. So if it takes me a month or a week or longer to finish a book, that is just fine with me. So something big and chunky would really hit the spot right now for summer. I've read some of my very favorite long books in the summer. And I think when the days are long, there's just something really nice about exploring a more robust kind of novel in those summer months. Well, the longest book in the guide this year is 700 something pages. Oh, wow. And you might really enjoy it, but that's not the direction we're going to go in. Okay. Well, I'll be looking forward to that one. Okay. So Ginger, you loved Who Is Ma Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. Everything You Want in a Summer Novel also happens to be a mystery about terrible people doing terrible things in the publishing world. You love Chasing the Thrill by Daniel Barbarisi. This was your nonfiction representative selection about a treasure hunt. Who knew that would be interesting, but it was. And The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer, which is tied up with some of your favorite reading memories and is a story smartly written that goes down easy about women and culture and relationships and more. Okay, not for you, The Hazelwood. Intensive world building is not something you really enjoy at this point in your life. And I'm really understanding like what that means relative to the relatable novels you really like, because a lot of the Hazelwood is set in Manhattan, but it's like Manhattan with a metaphorical trap door. So that does give me a very clear feel on how much is too much. One Reader's Gateway is another reader's, wow, that's a few too many steps in a direction I'm not quite ready to go in. So I'm hearing that loud and clear. And like my big question for you is, oh my gosh, how, how are we going to narrow this down? I gave down? you a lot to work with here. Your work is cut out for you. Ginger, I'm really excited because there's so much you're going to love this summer and in the Summer Reading Guide. And I'm so excited to talk about these books with you. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties. Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. If we wanted to go all unlikable, we could give you like a nice list of three. If we wanted to go all nonfiction, we could do that. There's also a couple of really slim books I think would be perfect for you, including one set in Tokyo where you had an amazing reading experience. (laughs) Okay. We should do Tokyo. Yes. Okay. Let's start with that. This is 
the antithesis of that long book to sink in and spend days in, weeks in that you were just describing because this is so short. But I still think it could be perfect for you. And I really want to talk about it with you and Holly on our team who are both in Tokyo. You all got to meet in Tokyo. We did. This what spring. A treat. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that happened on the other side of the world. <laughs> and Holly and I still haven't met in person. I'm so jealous. Okay. So the book that I want you to read, and Holly, I want you to read this too, is Days of the Morisaki Bookshop by Satoshi Yagisawa. This is in translation for us American and English readers. It's translated by Eric Ozawa. And it's been out in Japan for some time. It was a runaway bestseller and hit movie already there. I mean, Ginger, this is about a woman who goes to work in a bookshop, falls in love with reading, learns the big things about her life, and continues on in her relationships in a totally different way. So we could just stop right there, but we're not because it's so specific to some of the things I know you got to do in Tokyo. What happens in this book? It has an opening that wouldn't be out of place in a Nora Ephron movie. And I know how you feel about Nora Ephron movies. Although the Japanese version, which would have a very different feel and tone. There's a 25-year-old woman named Takako. And she's been living a life that she comes to describe later in the book as perfectly adequate. But then everything gets overturned for her when she finds out her boyfriend is getting married. And she's like we haven't been dating that long. You haven't even asked me, what are you doing talking about a wedding? And he's like, no, to my girlfriend. And she's like, hold the phone. What? So that kind of sends her spiraling. And she ends up losing her boyfriend and her job all at once. And she does not know how to cope. So she goes home. She sleeps all the time. Her mother's worried about her. After months of this, her long lost uncle, who she at once had a very fond loving relationship with, but you'll you'll hear has kind of dropped out of her life. He calls and he asks for help at his secondhand bookshop. And he says, hey, come help manage my books with me. You can live in the apartment over the bookshop for free. It'll be good for both of us. So Ginger, that bookshop is in Jimbocho, Tokyo's famous book district that I know you got to visit. And Takako has never been a reader, but Soon enough, she gets familiar with the shop's inventory, which is a modern Japanese author's, which you are going to want to Google. And I just want to tell everybody now, there's a note at the end about the Japanese authors mentioned in the book. Don't miss it. But finally, she falls in love with reading for herself and she does it on the page. And she says things like, well, I read this book and I never experienced anything like it before. It made me feel like I had been wasting my entire life until this moment. And I think you're really going to love it for that reason. How does that sound? That sounds so perfect. In fact, when you asked me what I wanted out of my reading life, I debated whether to ask for a long book or something else I've been after, after talking about the postcard, is a book in translation. I would really love to deliberately read more books in translation because it is such a special experience. And yeah, one that is set in a country that I've just recently been in sounds amazing. I'm wondering about even pairing this with 1Q84, which is a long, chunky novel that I've been meaning to read since I got back from Japan. How do you think that would pair up? I mean, this is such an American thing to say. They're both Japanese novels, but I don't know because I've been meaning to read 1Q84 forever, for forever. So readers and comments at what should I read next podcast.com, you can tell Ginger and me if we are on the right track and if we should prioritize that this summer. But that would give you your very long book. A long and a short one, yes. <laughs> All at once. <laughs> Check that box. Sounds excellent. Okay. I'm thinking we want to go in the nonfiction direction next. I would love that. There's an essay collection in the Summer Reading Guide that I think you're really going to enjoy. You said Southern, stories about place, stories about mess. This is a story about relationships. We're not going to go that direction, though. We're going to go with a book that Will read before I did and really loved, which I don't think is a bad thing for you at all. And that is a new nonfiction book just out like right now. It's called Brave the Wild River the untold story of two women who mapped the botany of the Grand Canyon. It's by Melissa L. Savigny, who's a journalist and nature writer. And this is one of those meticulously researched nonfiction history meets adventure meets botany. I know how much you liked The Feather Thief. And while this is not the same story, it does combine elements I know you've really enjoyed in combination before all on the page. So this is set in the summer of 1938 when these actual botanists, their names are Elzada Clover and Lois Jodder, embark on a journey down the Colorado River before anybody knew like what the Grand Canyon even was. What was fascinating to me is what Will was saying upon reading this book for the first time. Like 
we understood the moon and stars better than we understood the Grand Canyon, this giant hole in the ground for many, many years. But they were botanists driven by the science ended up embarking on this grand adventure. And this story, which is just very lyrically written, I think you'll really enjoy the prose. But to write this story, Savigny really relied on the actual letters and diaries of the two women and their sketches and drawings. And you see like some of the plants that they uh, discovered in the text. And some of the things they discovered were so, so fascinating. Like in these areas where they didn't think anyone had been before, it was clear that some of the plants had been tended. There are all these just really interesting discoveries. And nobody in their little tiny crew had ever been on such an adventure before, any kind of similar, at least to this degree, scientific exploration. It has a lot of what you've enjoyed in your nonfiction books before. And I think you might enjoy this specific journey. Because while you've read stories that might be similar in approach, I don't think you've read anything like this because nothing quite like this exists. What do you think? I love that, especially what you just said. Nothing quite like this exists. When you said the magic words botany and adventure, that sounds perfect. Those are kind of two of my little sub-niche genre bookshelves that you know don't often go together, to be honest. So that sounds right up my alley. I am glad to hear it. And finally, I really want to recommend a Kentucky book to you. And maybe I'm the only one who would call this a Kentucky book, but it's about horses and it paints Kentucky in a really flattering light, which I feel like is not something that happens a ton in fiction. I mean, do you, Ginger? We both have Kentucky connections, which is Mm. one reason I'm raising this here for you. Excellent point. And I wish it did more, but I think you might be right about that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there are books where people like go to the Derby and get hot browns at the Brown Hotel in downtown Louisville and, you know, drive through the rolling fields of eastern Kentucky the, you know, the Lexington area, which are gorgeous, but mostly I feel like we get dumped on. So this book is called Girls and Their Horses. It's by Eliza Jane Brazier. It comes out in June. I feel like this is the, I mean, this and the postcard are the ones that I can't stop talking about. And I, you know, I talk to readers, I talk to booksellers. I'm like, hey, can I tell you about the book that like really surprised me that I totally loved and can't shut up about? And they say, yes, Anne. Yes, please. So Girls and Their Horses is this book for me. And I think one of the reasons I found it so surprising is personally, I'm not drawn to horse books. Maybe like there's a little bit of a contrarian in me because people recommend horse books to me because I'm from Kentucky. But I live in Louisville. We don't have horses. Like that's not <laughs> that's not my thing. I don't ride. I've been on a horse like twice in my life with the Girl Scouts. Like I just don't. I don't know anything and I don't care to know anything because it doesn't sound interesting. But this book was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, challenge accepted. Here you go. So I love this. This was a propulsive thriller with a strong emotional core about people behaving so badly. And really, it's also very much about relationships, specifically sisterly rivalry, parenting, secrets. Oh, and it's so about money. So much about money. So this book is set in an extremely wealthy enclave in, I think it's Southern California. The action in this book centers around a cluster of wealthy families. Actually, one family used to have more money than they do now, which is major tension in the book that drives the plot around the stable in California. And racing is a really expensive sport, and that's important here. So there's this family that moved to California from Texas. They are nouveau riche. And when the trainer in the barn finds out that they have new money, he says, oh, that's my favorite bleeping kind, before they realize how dangerous money really is. So that's a major theme in the book. Another quote I just want to share with you that I had to note, one of the characters Maintained a natural horsey beauty herself, so she resembled a villain in a Jane Austen movie, which I chuckled at. (laughs) So good. But this book begins with an investigation. Someone has died in the barn, but we don't know who and we don't know why. So in the course of the book, we get taken inside this hyper-competitive world of competitive horse riding. Is that what you call it? Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, the marketing on this book said, oh, like... Dance moms have nothing on horse moms. And Ginger, I thought, well, I don't care about dance moms either. Like, this is not my world. But I care very much about watching the relational dynamics in the arena, 
in the stable where there's a narcissistic coach, uh, gossipy and like downright malicious moms, dangerous girls, you know, adolescent girls who have a lot of power and know exactly how to use it. And also they point out in the book that all this action is happening around wild, strong, sometimes uncontrollable 1,000 pound animals. There's a point in the book where they fly to Kentucky to buy a racehorse and they love Kentucky. Everything is amazing in Kentucky. Everything is beautiful in Kentucky. The horses are the best in Kentucky. And I really enjoyed that part of the book. I want to share one more quote with you though, Ginger. So being rich in some ways was like being dead. You built your own heaven and then you had to live in it. So imagine something like broody, dark, dangerous, and snipey. How does that sound? So good. I love when you're talking about money makes things messy. It's one of my favorite themes to read about because it really does heighten the drama. (laughs) Um, I am not a horse girl myself either. I think maybe that's it. Growing up in Kentucky, you're just, it's kind of a given. So you don't have to have that identity. I'm not a mom and spoiler alert, I'm not a murderer, but I want to read about all those things immediately. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying that. (laughs) You know what? Maybe you won't find it relatable. (laughs) No, that sounds fantastic, which is exactly what we were talking about. I love to read about characters that I wouldn't want to know in real life, even if they do love Kentucky. True, true. Okay. Of these books, what do you think you'll read next? Well, I'm tempted to go with the slim novel in translation, but I think I'll go with that narrative nonfiction very first. You just said the magic words, botany and adventure. And for some reason, that is just really striking me as interesting right now. I have been to the Grand Canyon, but I'm very willing to revisit that on a virtual summer vacation through the page. Well, I love the sound of that for you. And also, I applaud your choice because Days at the Morisaki Bookshop, I didn't tell you this, but it doesn't come out until July. So the Grand Canyon, where I've never been but would very much like to go, is a great starting pick. I've gotten to visit the Grand Canyon on the page. I've yet to see it with my actual eyes. It's going to happen. Ginger, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for talking books with me today. So fun. I am glad to be back and cannot wait to dive into these reads. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ginger, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. We have shared the full list of titles we talked about at What Should I Read Next podcast.com like we always do. And that is where you can leave your own suggestions for Ginger in the comment section. We would love to have you join us in book club. Learn more at modernmrsdarcy.com slash club. And keep up with those book club Instagram updates at MMD for Modern Mrs. Darcy MMD book club. Subscribe to our regular What Should I Read Next newsletter to get the latest news right in your inbox. Do that at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. And follow along in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is created each week by Will Bogle, Holly Wilkachevsky, and Studio D Podcast Productions. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Broca said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.